Hello, Erica Gerard, and welcome to All the Wiser. A little wiser? Are we doing a little wiser today? <laughs> Correct. Thank you for remembering the name of the show we are co-hosting. <laughs> That's what I'm here for, Kimmy. And today we are going to talk about, every time we get on to do these episodes, <laughs> we love deep topics. We really love having deep conversations, as does our audience. But you and I were both deeply drawn to the last episode with Diane Button, mm -hmm. who is a death doula. She walks with people, as she says, through the last weeks, months, sometimes years of their lives and refers to them as the wisdom keepers because, you know, they have this opportunity really to look back on their life and take stock of what mattered, what didn't. But her whole notion, which I love, is about living well, because she said people are constantly asking her, how do you die well as somebody whose expertise is death? And she said, well, you live well. So her idea is taking the information from the wisdom keepers on dying well, so we can all live well, live our lives well. And that is what we're going to talk about today. So tell me about you experiencing Diane and her work and her wisdom. You know, what, what were the big moments for you? So little secret to the listeners, Kimmy and I are both, we both have a fascination with death. Kimmy, didn't you tell me that you wanted to do something in that arena at one point? This whole, this whole podcast. Right. <laughs> Was it? Yes. So the original podcast, obviously I'm obsessed with this idea of all the wisdom that is in the world and finding and seeking the people who hold it, which we do. But the original name of the podcast was Dying to Know. And I was going to travel around the country and the world and interview people who were dying about looking back on their life and what they had gleaned, what they had learned, their regrets, their hopes, their, which is, it was kind of what she does in her work. So yeah, clearly I have an interest in the topic of so death and dying. Fascinating. I, that is so interesting. So what she does is like, to me, some of the most meaningful, incredible, useful work that a person could possibly have. I, I took away so many things from this episode, but I would say her six questions were just so great. And what specifically when she asked, you know, who matters most and what matters most and really reconciling any unfinished business that you yeah. have in your life, because doing, trying to do that with someone who's too close to you, like an immediate family member, I think it just tends to not happen. There's, it's too loaded. There's, they're just too close to the situation, but having an, a person who's not connected to you in any way who can kind of intercede on your behalf makes all the difference. Yes. That she was sort of this conduit. Yeah. I mean, her work was so beautiful and just this notion of finding peace and the understanding that that peace is available to us while we're living. And, you know, I think that's what she's in trying to inspire with that work, but, you know, to have that 
sort of wise friend next to you to hold your hand as you do it in a way that it feels thoughtful and safe and supported is, I think you're right, makes it significantly more feasible and gets you over the line of, of all the barriers to having hard conversations. Agreed. What were some of the things that stood out to you about what she said? I mean, there's so much. I think probably what she said, you know, when I asked her at the end to really distill down if there was one piece of advice she could pass on to all of us who are, you know, living from the wisdom keepers and that she chose slowing down is the answer. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to a podcast recently and our generation in particular, Gen X, rewarded and celebrated busy and productivity and the full calendar and juggling a bunch of things. And it was the way we, the way we lived. And there's a cost to that, right? Certainly, you know, stress. And so now there is a societal shift and they actually say like these younger generations looked up at us and said like, that looks like a horrible idea. (laughs) So you're seeing all this language, right, with businesses and on social media about shutting down and making space and valuing rest. And I think when she's talking about it from the perspective of these people who were doing all the things and had, you know, the trips and the work and they look back at their life and what really mattered was you know, the conversation over the cup of coffee, yes. you know, where, where they sat for hours or, you know, sitting in the yard watching the garden and that that it was in fact what mattered to people. And they had lived lives that created little opportunity, not little, but significantly less for the things that mattered were meaningful. And, and that's a tall order to change the way we operate. But you know, she she gave great permission for it to be baby step. She's like just starting with even just like a minute to close your eyes and hear the breeze or the trees, like to really revel and take presence in the simplicity of life. And that requires us to slow down. Yes. Pausing. She was really big on it wasn't it was the one word if there was one word that she could get us to walk away with. It was pause. And, and the accumulation of stuff and how people were so burdened by their stuff. Like they looked around and were like, so, so few, there were things that brought great joy and meaning. Right. And that was like a beautiful exercise of figuring out who to give the old ballet slippers to. And like uh, that, like just warmed my heart, but then also just like stress of, well, wait, I have all these things that I didn't even really, and now I've got to figure out what to do with them. So like, her idea, right, of the pause of simplifying like our material things, they really are just lessons on living well and on repair, on having conversations. So we're not in, um, I don't know if conflict is the right word, repairing our relationships. Yeah, it seemed like to me, if I could have distilled it into one overarching message that I walked away with from her, it was living well is about simplicity, simplicity in all things, simplicity in our everyday lives and finding 
joy in the little things, but also one of the things that I thought was so beautiful and spot on was when she said that a huge part of feeling peace at the end of life is it's not about building hospital wings and donating massive amounts of money. It's about simple everyday acts of kindness. You know, were you kind? Did you smile? Did you say thank you? Did you show gratitude and appreciation that it's really that moment to moment doing the right thing and being kind that matters. It's not, you don't have to have a lot of money. And I think we all are chasing this notion driven into us by this capitalist society that we live in, that we need to accumulate a lot of wealth in order to make a big charitable impact. And, and that's just not true. And it was a relief to hear that, frankly. Well, I love that you said that. And it was also that the remembrance, sort of the imprint in the soul of when people were unkind, going back to the story of the old woman who's like, she, she would steal the lunch from this oh boy and, and had never let, and had never let it go that it was mean and that it was hurtful. And here she was like 70 and then they found him on Facebook and he's like, I didn't like my lunches anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but that like that piece in you're right is from all of those simple things. And yes. And the, and the impact is not in, hospital wings or building schools or writing big checks and how you treat people and how you show up and how you show people kindness and how people feel seen and heard by you and how you use your gifts in the world. Like it's such a refreshing, optimistic, hopeful message. Cause you're right. It takes away this ridiculous expectation, right. Yes. Of, of, of what that is to contribute. Yes. So the idea of what you do every day in your life to live well, to live in peace, and the idea being that to die in peace, you need to live in peace, and Mm -hmm. that we can all do things right now to live with more peace than we do, whether that's changing the way we think about our lives finding more gratitude for what we have and not what we don't have and really living in more harmony with all things, all beings, all, I mean, I know it sounds a little hippy dippy, but to me, I am actively trying to live with more peace in my life now. Um, I'm trying to slow down. I'm trying to spend more time in nature. I'm trying to spend more time with animals you know, those are the things that really bring me joy. So I'm just hoping that I'm doing the right things <laughs> to bring my life so that I can, you know, die in peace. I think it was David Brooks, but sometimes I give credit to the wrong author for the wrong thing. So, but I believe it was David Brooks, this idea of the resume versus the eulogy and how we live our lives. Mm. And, mm-hmm. and that, Right. In this one version, it is our accolades and our accomplishments. And, but that is not at a eulogy how you will be remembered. And, you know, 
this idea that people are so afraid of this topic of death and dying. And she even said she has to be so careful with the language to not have people not go there, not read the book, not listen to the podcast because they're so uncomfortable talking about this subject. And I was trying to dig like, well, what is the fear of death and dying? Obviously it's the uncertainty. It's, you know, but she said, people are afraid of being forgotten. Yeah. So I think thinking of how you want to be remembered informs the decisions about how you live. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And often a beautiful eulogy has stories and illustrations bringing it to life. Like Erica, your love of dogs and the way you, you know what I mean? Like, um, so, so I think that for me as somebody who's always been ambitious and had big goals and big dreams, thinking of my life as a eulogy and not a resume is a really powerful exercise. That is so true. The eulogy, another word that I struggle with related to to that, Kimmy, with what you just said is the word legacy, because it, it's like that feels everyone, big. It feels so big. It's like, what is your legacy? You know, <laughs> you know I don't know. I don't know. I, what? Yeah. What is your legacy? And do we need to chase this notion of like leaving a legacy behind? Yeah, that sounds really ambitious and intimidating to me. <laughs> It does. It does. But she does talk about it. And she says, you know, she does this exercise that she mentioned with one of her clients. Remember when you said about collecting the ballet slippers and yeah. um, and all the things around the house and that these were things that were really valuable to her and that she had and that she loved, like her hats and scarves and, and things like that. And so she made cards for the people that she was going to leave them to. And the leg and that legacy was like these little gifts that she was going to give to people that she loved. Yeah. So I guess, you know, again, it's like the simple gestures. Yeah. It's the simple gestures. Like why we don't have to think who said we have to think of legacy as this like big monumental thing. And the, you know, the funny thing, I can't remember if she said it in our conversation or when I was doing my research and listening to other people interview her, but this idea of being remembered, she's like, oh, you're going to be remembered <laughs> like one way or the other. So if you're a stressed out asshole, you know what I mean? Like if yeah. you're yeah. like angry and road rage and like leading with an iron, like you'll be remembered. You're going to, all of us are going to be remembered. And that so that piece of it, that fear of not being remembered, it's choosing how we want to be remembered. And, and that takes thought, it takes intention, and then it takes great practice, right? Like, how do I want to show up? And who do I want to show up for? So you really do have to live with thought and intention, thinking how you want to look back at the end of your life and live and create a life that you're proud of. And obviously, life is complex and difficult and there is pain and suffering. We talk so much about it, but in the moments where we, you know, are in a place to to show up as the person we want to be, you know, we have to vote for that version of ourselves that we're going to feel good about and peaceful about when we look back. So I want to close with having a little, you know, I love to have little challenges. Okay. What's your um, challenge? Okay. My challenge is for our listeners to 
in this moment right now, while you are alive and hopefully well, and while your loved ones are alive and hopefully well, and even if they're not, I want you to tell one person in your life who you care about how you are going to remember them. And I want to tell you, so I'm going to tell you, Kimmy, how I'm going to remember you. Kimmy Culp, I am going to remember you for the way that you treat people with such kindness and gentleness and care and respect, no matter who the person is, as it could be your family, it could be your friends, and it could be your coworkers. I mean, you treat everyone as if they are cherished beings in the world. And that is how I will remember you. Oh, thank you. I thank you. I will, I will take that and I will accept that. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I, I'm going to do the same thing for you, but I'm going to take some time to think about it and I'm going to send it to you and one of our um, many voice memo boxers back and forth. <laughs> That's so sweet. Thank, Thank you for you. that. Thank you. I feel that very, very deeply. And I think um, that was modeled to me by both my parents day in, day out of their life. And so I think that's a generational thing that I was really blessed to witness in them. So I'm glad that you see that in me. Thank you. You're welcome, friend. And I do... So I love, love that idea and that challenge. And um Erica, I do have to say, following up from the challenges we give ourselves and our listeners, when we did the Voices in Our Head episode, and you talked about friendship, and I talked about body image, I don't know what the magic is in just like saying something out loud, my voice, around the things I shared in that episode. I'm not sure what it is, but have just gotten significantly smaller. Wow. Yeah. That is so great. Yeah. So I don't know if like maybe even I had like shame around the fact that I thought those things. So anyways, I love talking out loud about life and all of these really deep, meaningful things and hard things and beautiful things and voices in our head and eulogies and all of it with you. So if you guys have not listened to the Diane Button episode... She's really amazing. Oh, and we cannot end this episode without talking about the charity that took my breath away. Oh my gosh. I know. What a cool, cool charity. So do you want to talk a little bit about it? Sure. Yeah. Um, so when she told me, I grabbed my heart, which is something I do because I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> it's going to explode. Um, the Humane Prison Hospice Project. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Okay. So in a nutshell, these death doulas, people who are committing their life to being death doulas in the hospice work are going into prisoners, teaching this skill set, which is so specific, right? The amount of compassion and listening and patience, everything that they have learned as skilled professionals caring for people through the end of their lives in their last chapters for prisoners to be able inside the prison to be that very thing 
to their friends who are all prison inmates who are dying. So if you envision two prisoners, two male or female prisoners, and one is trained to walk beside other inmates who are dying, so they have the opportunity to die in peace, which it's just the layers in which that work is impactful and beautiful. But you think of dying in that environment, right? Just how sterile and lonely and isolating and how much hurt and suffering must have occurred in the past for you to be there. And that somebody is there in the end to help you make peace with yourself or perhaps make, you know, peace with people outside of prison or in the prison is like, uh, I literally took my breath away. That works. Same. Yes. And you know, it's something that you don't think about, right? That when you think about people spending their life behind bars, you don't think about the end of their life. And so what she was saying was that people who are dying in prison, they do so with their cellmate and their cellmate is there with them throughout that whole process. And I, I'm just going to read a quote from their website, the Humane Prison Hospice Project.org. This is a quote from Lenny, who who was trained in end-of-life care by, by the organization. And he said, before my cellmate of five years passed, he begged me to take care of him. So I did. I fed him. I cleaned him up. When he had to go to the hospital, he fought them. He wanted to come back. Him dying made me want to change. He was my friend, the person who took care of him. That was a good part of me. So that the healing is both. Yeah. The healing is, is both. Yes. Yes. So we, we are going to find a way to go deeper with this specific story because it's so fascinating to everybody on the all the wiser team, like this, this work and that it's happening. So yes, just keep with us if, if this struck a chord with you, because we are going to find a way to dive much deeper into understanding this and the people it's impacting. I'm saying that out loud as a intention. Yes. I can't wait. I, I will, yeah. um, I'll stay on you about it because it is yeah. really so beautiful. I mean, we should all be trained in yes. In end of life yeah. uh, care. Really? Yes, I agree. And so there will, will be links to Diane's book. Um, she has an awesome book and then she has a workbook, especially if anybody listening is a caregiver or caretaker, I think it'd be incredible for you and super helpful. So we will link to all things Diane Button and we will link to the Humane Prison Hospice Project so you can learn more about that. And we will be back with a full episode next week. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Erica. Thank you. Talk to you later. Talk to you. Okay. Bye. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. 
To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.